I want to speak on a doctrine today. Hell, what is it good for? Some Share some thoughts on that. And I know everybody's looking forward. I can see everybody excited. Yeah, everybody's excited today about hell. Let's get together, worship God, and speak about hell. <laughs> Those crazy people over there, okay? But we are going to speak about hell, and there's a reason. That's why you and I are singing today. We are singing for this reason. We're not going. But it's even a bigger reason. This is where God vindicates himself. As the holy creator, first cause, the great I am of the universe. And he puts sinful man, he puts Satan and every demon in their rightful place. God has the last word. And he wants his church to know this truth. Before I speak on this doctrine today, let me explain something to you. Actually, let's read a couple of verses of Scripture. Let's read uh, Luke 12, 5 first. I'm going to read two verses of Scripture today. Luke 12, 5. Here's an attitude we should have in every day of our life. But I will tell you whom to fear. Jesus says, fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Let me explain something to you. We should not be concerned what any other human being thinks about us. All that counts is what God knows about us, what God has done for us. We do not move to the left or the right because of what people want us to do. We obey God and God alone. Amen? God is under attack in our country today, and they're trying to move us away from the reality of the Bible, the reality of morality, the the reality of God, and yes, even the reality of hell. No, no, no. We don't bow the knee to mankind. Are you with me? We do not bow the knee to mankind, period. Even if he thinks he has authority over our body, as Jesus says, if... You kill me, it's only because my Father in Heaven gave you authority over us. This is serious. And let's go to Revelation, then I'll start to teach. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Listen to John, the Apostle. Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it. From His presence earth and sky fled away. That means time and space. It doesn't exist anymore. Eternity has come, right? And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And the sea gave up the dead and all who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written, excuse me, something happened here. 
was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you warn us, that you shoot a warning over this world saying, beware, the end will come. The end will surely come to human history when time and space and land will cease to be no more, when man will have to live in eternity, either with you in your glorious presence, in your awesome, gracious presence, or spend eternity in isolated confinement away from the presence of God. This is ultimate reality, God. We know it. And every man is destined to one place or the other. Help us to understand this, Father God. Help us to chew on this and let it reveal just how awesome you really are and just how in control you are of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hell, it's something modern man really likes to laugh at because it's beyond modern man. The modern man thinks this is superstition, antiquated religion. It insults their intelligence. They want nothing to do with it. They're insulted. And even how dare you suggest for a moment that I'm going to hell. They want nothing to do with it. They mock it. They mock God. They mock Christians. They mock anybody who would believe in it. And little do they realize that it is as real as tomorrow is. Especially with mankind's high optimistic view of themselves and human nature. Surely there's nothing we can't do in the, is what people think. We live in a generation that can, thinks they can fix just about anything. There's no real moral standard to govern this world. There's no fear of God whatsoever. There's no conscience in humanity today of what we see what's going on lately. <clears throat> We live in a culture that has no moral conscience whatsoever. And not just that, but they're trying to get further and further and further away of any accountability to an absolute moral God. So if you, and if you, I hope you notice what's taking place today in America, right? They're creating their own, or creating their own reality. You could be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You can think any way you want to think. Create your own reality. One day they will face ultimate reality. His name is Jesus Christ. He's a consuming fire. Make no mistake about it. God will have his day in court. The conscience warns us of certain disasters, certain wrongs, certain consequences. It's a faculty of the human mind that actually saves us from harmful things. It reminds us of our words, our actions, our deeds, and certain consequences that come with life. But we're living in a society that hates a conscience, wants nothing to do with a conscience, especially a religious conscience, a religious conscience that's based on moral, absolute truths. It laughs, it scorns, it mocks. If you know human history, Rome fell because of this very thing. It had no conscience whatsoever. 
It wanted to play, eat, drink. That's all it wanted to do. It wanted entertainment. And before you know it, this great, great, marvelous civilization fell. Eventually it fell. The next great falling will not be America. The next great fallen will be the whole world. Make no mistake about it. It might be one nation first, but the book of Revelation teaches us when the end comes, it comes fast, and it comes hard, and it comes like a thief in the night. It will come. Catastrophe upon catastrophe will come, and mankind will have no idea what to do. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to look to blame someone. And the book of Revelation tells us who that is. It's the Christian. But can the teaching of the God of love be consistent with a God of wrath, with the God of hell? I mean, are these two things consistent with each other? It's clear. Absolutely. Because if there is not an eternal judgment... If there's not a place called hell, then God has no love whatsoever. He's turning a deaf ear and he's turning a blind eye to sin and all its consequences. Mankind makes a habit of it. Matter of fact, they've mastered the art of turning a blind eye. They've mastered the art of turning a deaf ear to the cry of justice. Not God. Yes, they can, and they should, and we need to realize it. I bring two concerns tonight to this teaching tonight. I want you to know this comes out of a three-part series. I'm just doing this, putting a couple of things together here. I want to talk. The, the teaching on hell is clear as the teaching of heaven, and it should be. They naturally go together. It gets its proper place within the Christian teaching. And the second is that it doesn't. There are people that have gone to churches for 10, 20, 30 years and, and, and hell is assumed, hell is mentioned, but it rarely is ever taught on. Jesus taught on hell. Paul taught on hell. The whole book of Revelation teaches on the doctrine. But many ministers today make you believe like, well, it's not a big deal. Sat down with a pastor, friend of mine, noble man, good minister, Loves his flock, loves the word of God. And we were speaking about this doctrine one day. He goes, well, I never teach on that. And he's been a minister much longer than I have. And I thought about that. I never really questioned tomorrow. I was like, it was almost like it's unnecessary. Like it's going to make people feel uncomfortable or something. And, and, and that's wrong. And one of the reasons I think people don't teach on it is because they really don't know the holiness of God. The holiness of God is a serious issue. But before we go on to teach about this, and we don't want to misunderstand God. We don't want to misunderstand that. Before someone, I'll speak myself first in the first person. When I speak on this, we better, I better have a grasp of the love of God for all humanity. 
This is not something you sound off on in some kind of self-righteous tangent threatening people with hell because you have no social graces whatsoever and all you want to do is send people there. No, he who preaches on hell should be crying for the souls of men. If you're not crying for the souls of men, never ever mention the word hell. And if you're not preaching on hell, dare not ever try to teach on the love of God. You're disqualified from teaching on the love of God. The love of God kept you and me from it. And the love of God sent God's only begotten son to it to receive our penalty in his body on that cross. Make no mistake about it. This is why we sing, this is why we hear, and this is why we are going to heaven, because we are not going to the other place, because Jesus took the other place in his body. It concerns me, at times angers me, how this is just glossed over. And there's a reason. If you're not theologically and doctrinally trained, you cannot really speak on this. You have to know how every doctrine in the Bible meshes together beautifully. The analogy I like to use is like grandma's stew. How many like a nice Sunday grandma's red sauce? Anybody have a grandmother used to make that or a mom make that? When did they start making it? When was it ready to eat? It has to sit there two, it has to sit there four, six, eight, ten hours. That's what theology is. You got to put it all together. And then all of a sudden you can smell the beauty of it. And you can't wait to taste it. That's the Bible. And we need to be accustomed to every ingredient that the scriptures teach us. I've heard some speak about this with even an apologetic tone. Like it's, it's God's dirty secret. might hurt someone, you might offend somebody. I hope you're offended. I hope you're here today and you are offended. If you are offended, you need to be saved. If you're offended in the least about what the Bible teaches, you need to be born again. And if you are saved, it should bring you to tears what Jesus Christ has done for us. I think there's a lot of lack-lusting worship out there because people don't know the reality of what Christ owns. And many people are seeing it only because of sentimental reasons. And, and it's good. God has done a lot of good things for us in our personal life. He heals our marriages. Sometimes He heals our bodies. Sometimes He gives us this and sometimes He gives us that. But the greatest and the sweetest of all praise is when we look up at our Redeemer who took eternal hell for us that we know we deserve. That is the sweetest. That is the highest praise, the highest worship. It has eternal shelf life. It never grows old. It never gets dead. It never loses its luster. It never loses its glory. That is the praise of eternal heaven. You will not be in heaven thinking about what God did for you one day on earth. When you cry, oh God, help me. I'm I'm scared. And God does that because he loves us. You won't be praising God in heaven because of the... Trinkets he's given us. You'll be praising God in heaven because you're not in hell. 
Let me say it again. You'll be praising God in heaven because you are not in hell. Period. Many, many Christians are spiritually malnourished. And they lack the deeper worship in their hearts because they don't know what amazing grace is so amazing about. It's a cliche. It's a feeling. It's nostalgia. But it's not what it's meant to be. A sinner standing up and praising God for what Christ has done for us. Make no mistake about it. He was born to go to the cross and suffer the pangs of eternal hell for you and me. Nothing less. He's not just a good moral guy doing something for us. He lived the life you should have lived. And he died the death you should have died. That's grace. But hell is a real, literal place. And there'll be a lot of bad things about it. But the most miserable thing about eternal hell is absolute, abject hopelessness. Hopelessness. Everyone there will know they'll be there forever. Time and space has passed away. Remember that? We read it? Eternity is now involved. And in eternity, it's a state. You're not moving forward, you're not going backwards. It's a state. And there they will be forever in a state of hopeless misery. Paul says it this way. Cast away from the presence of God. It's horrible. But hell is something else. It's a vindication of God's very nature. The good God. The benevolent God. The creator God. Who first gave us a garden to live in. A sanctuary of a sort. A temple of a sort. And made us even lower than the angels. And put us on earth to govern and rule the earth. And to worship God and to push the borders further and further and further on this God-created planet. To bring worship and glory to God. But man took matters into his own hands. When God said, if you eat, you shall die, he meant it. The wages of sin is death, period, Is it appointed for man to live once on this earth and when they die, if they die not saved, they go to the judgment. God's holiness, God's nature has zero tolerance towards all sin. Zero. Period. The gossiper, the adulterer, the murderer, the thief, the fornicator, makes no difference. The liar, these are all things, yeah, of course, the murderer and they belong there, but not the liar, not the gossiper. We can do these things and we can get away with these things. God's not watching. Yeah, God's watching. Lying and gossip cause more dissension among human beings than we could ever imagine. Only God knows. Holiness is God's moral perfection. God is entirely free from all moral 
evil. Let me explain in scripture, holiness, when it pertains to God, means that he was without any moral flaw or failure, period. He's the total opposite of what you and I are, or I should say, you and I fell into a state that's totally opposite of what God created us to be. His thoughts, his desires, his words, his intentions, his motives, his attitudes, his actions are always consistent to his perfect character, namely love. He has never, ever throughout his whole eternity ever had one ill thought to or towards humanity. He's always had a gracious disposition towards his creation. Always had humanity's best interest at heart. On the other hand, we and all the human race could never say that statement about ourselves or the society we live in. We are selfish. We're self-centered. Self-gratifying. Always act out of a place of personal satisfaction and reward. God, by his very nature, could never tolerate sin in those who commit it. It's an offense to him personally. It's an affront to him. It's an attack on his intentions for creation. God's wrath is a natural reflex towards sin. If you were to take your fingers and shove them down your throat, there's a gag reaction. You can't do it. That's what wrath is. God is not wrath. God is love. But make no mistake about it. He has a natural reflex towards all human sin. It's an offense to him. Sin has to be punished. Has to be extinguished from God's presence. It has to be extinguished from God's creation. So bad is sin that God will judge the whole universe and usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And on this new heaven and new earth, righteousness will reign forever. Sinless. Every thought of redeemed humanity will be absolutely perfect. We will love God and love one another absolutely perfectly and will be grateful and in debt to the God-man Jesus Christ who lived that life for you and me and died that death we should have died. We will rejoice forever in the presence of God, grateful from the bottom of our hearts for what the God-man, the second Adam, the true Israel did for you and me. Make no mistake about it. What's theology today is reality tomorrow. Some people say, oh, you're reading too many books. They told the Apostle Paul that too. Your great learning, Paul, is driving you mad. No, Paul knew ultimate reality. Every minister of the gospel should know ultimate reality. God cannot tolerate human sin. It is an affront to him. And it's a disdain for all that God is and has done. God is holy. God is love. He unites and gives life. Sin separates and destroys life. Amen? Sin, selfishness is always at war with holiness and love. 
We live in a world where both these things are going on. And let me tell you something, it always looks like the Christian message. It always looks like the God of the Bible is getting his ears boxed in. It always looks like God is losing. But let me tell you right now, when the book of Revelation was being birthed, when when John the, the Apostle got that and he was writing it and he was sending this letter to the seven churches, those churches were suffering grave persecution and they would read this letter and when they got to the end, guess what they did? They rejoiced knowing that the God of the Bible wins. The left doesn't win. The right doesn't win. The Democrat doesn't win. The Republican doesn't win. Asians don't win. Americans don't win. The black don't win. The white don't win. The women don't win. The men don't win. The poor don't win. The rich don't win. God wins. Period. End of politics. Sin in the Bible is always defined as a living entity. Paul talks about that clearly in Romans chapter 7, 14 to 25. That it's always in conflict with the law of God's love. It's an enemy of divine love. It's an enemy of the will of God. It's an enemy of the moral law, the commandments of God. It both insults and is a crime against the nature of God as he revealed himself from scripture, the all-wise and loving creator, the all-benevolent sustainer, and the gracious redeemer. Willful sin against an infinite holy God, a loving God, is why there is a hell. Whether mankind knows it or not, wants to receive it or not, understand this, there is not one atheist in hell right now. Everyone's a believer. Everyone's mouth has been stopped. No one's mocking the Christ anymore. When properly understood from a biblical perspective and not an earthly, emotional, personal perspective, well, I just don't like it. My God would never do that. And your God doesn't save either. As I began with, when ministers are not faithful to teach this doctrine, as with the more favorable ones, like mercy, and grace and forgiveness and love. It's like a commune in the hippie days in the 60s. Psychedelic. It's cheap. It's cheap. Don't forget it. It's cheap. There's no course. God's people are malnourished. Of course, on the other side of these more favorable doctrines, do you like to hear about the love of God? Do you like to hear about the grace of God? Do you like to hear about the forgiveness of God? Do you like to hear about the mercy of God? Because the other side of these more favorable doctrines is the truth of God's judgment, His wrath, and ultimately hell itself. And that is why we can teach on love and mercy and forgiveness. I can sit here and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God absolutely loves you. He cannot do anything else but love you. Do you know that God cannot be angry with one Christian? 
He cannot. And do you know why? Because Christ took all the anger on the cross. There is no more left. There is no more. Can you grieve him? You better be sure. Can you put him to the test? Absolutely. He'll never do anything to us that's not out of his deep love for us. Of course, we are in Christ, not in Adam. The mercy, the love, the forgiveness of God all have to do directly with Christ taking wrath that we deserved. That's why we sing. That's why we dance. That's why we're happy. That's why you woke up with hope this morning. Because the war is over. The war is over. Are you, are you fighting a couple of battles? Who in here is not fighting a battle or two? Who in here is not going through a tough time in life? But you know why the end is secure? Because Christ secured it for you. The most important thing is where you're going to spend eternity. Today, in this feel-good type of environment we live in America today, this sort of therapeutic teaching, everything's got to have this therapeutic flair, this sort of hope that tomorrow's a better day. No! Let me tell you something I can be sure of. Eternity is great. The rest of this life, we can get a little beaten up. We wear the scars of life on us, but not in eternity. So this lack of teaching, whether intentional or unintentional on hell, has a direct way in which we view Christ and his work, and how deep our gratitude goes. A young Christian doesn't understand that. My job is to get you ready to mature. Are you with me? That's a painful operation. Me and John are called to be faithful to the truth. The truth sets you free. Not my good intentions. Not to try to make you feel good every time you come to church. That ain't going to set you free. That gives you false hope. It's like a sugar rush. You think you can do everything and 20 minutes later you're crashing. That's what some people's teaching are like. Just a big sugar rush. And how much it grows into this joyful praise of God. This humble living. Where we live as bond slaves of God's grace. Let's go to our text. Just to let you know, that's my introduction. <laughs> what we've just read is a courtroom drama with eternal implications. It's God on his throne. In all his divine regal splendor. A judicial power to make every wrong ever done right and ultimately serve justice. There is no circumstantial evidence in this courtroom, but all the facts are in. The books are open. All of man's sins are revealed. All the secret sins of men are revealed. We live in a culture of politics today where people are going into, you know, 20 years, 30 years ago and trying to find some crime. Wait till they stand before God. Who knows every thought, every motive, every action? Please don't miss this. When people stand before the throne of God, it's real, it's justice. God's not going to take someone and just throw them into hell. They're going to have to face God and hear every bit of evidence against them. 
And the evidence is overwhelming. There'll be nowhere to hide. They'd rather be in hell than stand before the judgment seat of God. You don't want to see God when you're not in Christ. It's a fearful expectation to fall into the hands of the living God. Make no mistake about it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about sin. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy 5.24. The sins of some people are conspicuous. You know what that means? It's obvious. Going before them to the judgment. We know there's some things, some people we can say they deserve it. Their sins are obvious. But Paul says this, but the sins of others appear later. What do you think he means by that? These are the people that, as Pastor John, Dr. John preached last week, these are the good people. These are the religious people. They haven't dealt with their sin, but they, they might not look as bad as the conspicuous sins. But when they stand before God and the books are opened, guess what? Every secret sin will be revealed. As though they just committed it. This is eternity. There's no past. The books are open. All the pains that people's sin has caused others who were created in God's image, their willfulness to sin against God and hurt another human being will be open. Their premeditated nature of many of their sins will be clear. The motives of selfishness, self-gratification at the expense of someone else will be in the courtroom. The malice, the slander will all be represented here. All sinners will hear the indictment against them. One after another. One sin after another. They will remember every sin. Everything done in secret will be exposed from their childhood to their death. Every word spoken in darkness will be brought to the light. No one will have a convenient lapse of memory. God will make his case with clear evidence. Mankind's dull conscience that has died with them will be sharpened to the reality of God himself. There'll be nowhere to hide. They can't hide behind the Pope. They can't hide behind the priest. They can't be hide behind their collar. They can't be hide behind their religious resume. They can't be hide behind their giving their money away. There's nowhere to hide. All there is is God and their sin. That's it. Today, people can have nervous laughter. They can make, ah, it's no big deal. Uh, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in God. And they're hiding behind all these props. There won't be no props. This Jesus, this Galilean, this carpenter, this self-proclaimed Messiah will be there in all his regal glory upon his throne. Let me give you an example. I sat on a very severe felony case. I'm not going to speak about the implications of it. It was pretty disgusting. But there was a life sentence involved. And I remember seeing this man, skinny little man, not much to look at, not imposing, just saw him, didn't think anything. 
until I went into the courtroom. And he comes out of the back room. He's the judge. And that little skinny man I saw in the elevator, unopposing, out of his element, was now in his element. With all the authority of the state and the government behind him. That Jewish carpenter, that they're still mocking. They're still laughing at. They're still scorning. Still persecuting his church. The throne's going to open. The book's going to open. And there he will be on the throne of judgment. Probably five foot seven, five foot eight, skinny. The God man Christ Jesus in all his divine regalness. In his element, time and space is gone. Mankind has nowhere to hide. He's outside of his element. He can't hide behind. I was a doctor. I was a this. I was a that. I did no, nothing's there but him and God, and that is it. Their accomplishments will mean nothing. They'll all be annihilated in the presence of the Christ. They'll be meaningless. Only what is written in the books. I had a guy tell me, yeah, when I see Jesus, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You know what I told him? Good luck. You're going to have that kind of arrogance? Get ready. What people thought about themselves is meaningless. They will hear the overwhelming evidence of a life spent on self and not on God. As Jesus says, he who gains this life in this world loses it in the next. God will show every time he was revealing himself in nature, in conscience, in law, but they suppressed it. Maybe they never heard about Jesus. Please let me tell you something now. God has revealed himself to the most hearted atheist there is. They won't know about it until they stand before God. And then they'll say, oh my God, that was you. That was you. I was studying the universe. and I was like, how can this universe exist? It was you. It was always you. Make no mistake about it. God has revealed himself to every human being, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Nobody will live on this earth for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, or 80 years, and God has not revealed himself to their conscience in one way or another. Make no mistake about it. There'll be no forensic science, and this is forensic science at its best. This will be every cold case will be opened. This is law and order of the divine. There are no plot twists in this throne. There's no plea bargains. There's no new eyewitnesses. There's no charismatic defense attorney winning over the jury. To thinking maybe there's a reasonable doubt. There's no reasonable doubt. What might have looked like justice delayed, but it will not be justice denied. God will have his day in court. Christ is in his element. He who the world mocks now will not mock anymore. 
weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Hell is solitary confinement. You'll always be able to see and see nothing. You'll always be able to hear and hear nothing. You'll always be able to be felt, but you'll feel no one. All they will hear is their own conscience tormenting them moment after moment after moment in all of eternity. They will know in hell they deserve to be there. But they will hate it and always want to get out. Hell is real. Get right with Christ. Get right with Christ. And for all those Christians who know the truth and keep it to themselves, be careful. Christ has no problem doing two things. Forgiving the worst offender ever. And he has no problem throwing in the best person of this world who's not born again into hell. He's got no problem. He's not wrestling with his conscience. He's not in a dilemma. He's not having a conflict of conscience. He'll have no problem to look at the angels and they're going to take, the angels are going to take him and throw him into the lake of fire with Satan and all his demons forever. And do not think that Satan is down there tormenting anybody. Satan is the chief tormented. He's just another voice screaming out loud in solitary confinement. This is not Dante's Inferno where the misery of one is consoling the misery of the other. It's isolated confinement. Isolated confinement. Isolated confinement forever. It reminds me of the movie... 2001 Space Odyssey, I used this a couple of times as an analogy, and there's that part in the movie, the person was outside the spacecraft, and their lifeline got cut. And all you could see was the horror in their faces, they were drifting into stellar outer space. That's what hell is like. Hell is like just getting further and further away from all life, away from God. There you can't hear nothing but your conscience tormenting you forever and forever and forever and forever tormented. Because God is holy. Let me give an application and I'll close. Most people are probably not familiar with why the book of Revelation was even written. It was written at the time of the church at the end of probably about AD 90, 100, when the church was severely persecuted. And it looked like the government was winning. It looks like Caesar was winning. Mm-hmm. To be a Christian, you had to hide all the time. Mm-hmm. You couldn't eat. You couldn't barter. Nobody wanted to do anything with you. You were socially outcast, ostracized. No one bought your apples, no one bought your shoes, no one bought your bakery goods. The whole world was against you when you were Christian. Just like what we start seeing going on now. It's coming. One day they're not going to go to your auto shop, they're not going to go to your trainer, they're not going to go to your business. Guess why? Because you're a Christian. Get ready. 
but it was written. So these Christians were under severe persecution. And it looked like God was losing when they read the book. Praise the Lord. God doesn't lose. So when you see what's taking place in America today, when you see what's taking place in the world today, and you want Donald Trump to fix everything, or you want someone, Bernie Sanders, to fix it, let me tell you something. Only Jesus Christ can fix it. Period. Understand this. The time is coming where they will hate us because of our faith in Christ. Get as close to Jesus as you can now. Because God's going to have his day in court. I ask everybody here, are you ready to stand before God? Are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? Because if they're not, they don't care how many times you went to sonship ministry. They don't care how many times you went to the mass in your life. God could care less. He's only going to ask one thing. Where's your name in the book? I'm going to ask you, do you want your name written in the book of the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you want to be saved from the wrath of God? Do you want us to be saved from eternal hell? Do you want to be saved from eternal confinement, isolated confinement and dark and cold forever? You've got to come to Christ. You've got to come and ask for forgiveness right now. Don't hesitate. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I ask this question. Do you want to spend eternity with God and Jesus? Or do you want to spend eternity with Satan and his demons? If you want to spend eternity with Jesus, ask him to come into your life once and for all and ask for forgiveness of all your sins. You have to be real with your God. You have to be real. If you ask for forgiveness... He'll forgive you. It's already done. If you ask, it's done. It's over. You'll never have to ask again. Father, you know every heart. You know every mind, Father. I pray, Lord God, that you have awakened the dead today. And that today, in this church, somebody's name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I pray they rejoice with all the joy of the Holy Spirit, Father God. And we rejoice with them, Father God. And for all the other saints whose names are already written in the Lamb's Book of Life, let them know to now, let them rejoice that God wins. That perfect love wins. That justice prevails. Let them take encouragement in knowing that at the end, you will shut every mouth. Oh man, where is your boasting? There is no boasting in the presence of God. In Jesus' name.